My name is Barbara. I'm a grateful believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, but I still struggle with hurts, habits, and hang-ups of life. Specifically, I struggle with addiction, codependency, and other hurts and habits. With Pastor Jimmy and the mission team in Dominican Republic, the leaders of Celebrate Recovery felt this would be a wonderful opportunity for us to introduce you to what Celebrate Recovery means to us. You know, quite frequently, people hear the word recovery and they think, oh, that's for those other people. I did. I th- recovery program, I thought, I'm not one of those. But then a friend invited me to come participate and celebrate recovery. I really didn't want to. But then I thought, well, maybe I should. Let me just go see what this is all about. And little did I know how God would use this program as he's working in my life. You know, we all have struggles. We've all been hurt at one time or another. And if you're denying some problem you have in your life, then maybe this is the program for you. We meet here at Grace Fellowship on Thursday evenings. Doors open at 6. The worship program starts at 6.30. We invite you to come try us out. Celebrate Recovery offers Christ-centered healing for those who may be stuck in the past or struggle with other hurts, past habits or hang-up that you're trying to deal with. Now I would like to introduce to you Lisa Marie Kronick. She is one of our CR leaders, and she is going to share with you her personal testimony. Lisa Marie. As Barbara said, I'm Lisa Marie. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm celebrating my recovery over alcohol and drug addiction and many other hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I first want to tell you what my life was like before recovery. I was born in Denton, Texas. My household growing up consisted of my mom, my dad, an older sister, and a younger brother. Our family did not attend church, and we moved from place to place often. We moved from Texas to Florida and then to Arkansas, where we lived for three years. My father suffered an accident at work and became disabled. My entire childhood, I remember him being in pain and him going to the doctor often. He had multiple back surgeries that unfortunately did not offer him relief. As far back as I can remember, Daddy was usually fighting, drinking, and often in and out of jail. We moved to Daytona Beach when I was around 10 or 11. I stayed there long after my dad and mom, um, after my dad left my mom, and I did not see him again after that. Honestly, that was okay with me, as I was sexually abused by him for many years. I had feelings of exclusion from other people my age, a sense that my life was not normal. My life was dysfunctional, and it showed in every area. 
As a teen, I started drinking, taking prescription pills, and smoking pot. I skipped school a lot in high school and went to the beach for or the mall most days. I always thought about being sexually abused. Then I would drink or take a pill just so I would feel good for a while. I had a boyfriend I thought I was pretty serious about. When I was 16, I dropped out of school. I worked every day and I moved in with my boyfriend's family. We partied and worked and worked and partied, and that was my life. My boyfriend and I did everything together. We worked together, we lived together, we had the same friends. We even got matching tattoos on my 18th birthday. I was starting to not think about what my dad had done. I was going to be with this guy forever, and we were going to think the same about things, and we were going to do the same things, and we were going to want the same things. I was not excluded anymore. All of a sudden, I had tons of friends. I knew all kinds of people doing all kinds of things, young and old, black and white, so many different people from so many different places. My boyfriend's mother was super outgoing and introduced me to, any, to everyone as her daughter. Everything was great through the eyes of denial. My boyfriend was always stealing things from other people and their cars and houses and in and out of jail a lot. When I turned 18, I got pregnant. I had my first son right after I turned 19. His name is Michael. I started staying home with him to care for him. I went back to school and got my GED. I started school at the community college, and then it happened. My boyfriend left me, just like my dad left my mom all in one night. He was gone. Not long after he left, I started leaving my son with babysitters, and my boyfriend's mom and I went out all night. When I was 20, I started using crank. I quickly met another guy and started partying with him daily. I dropped out of school and we got a place together. We had a big, pretty house that we rented. We got roommates and we all partied. I did whatever I could to feel good about myself. If I was in pain, I would just take a pain pill to numb it. If I was sleepy I would, and wanted to stay up, I would do speed and stay up for days. I started to feel excluded. If I started to feel excluded, I would drink and be super outgoing, and everyone around me would tell me I was so much fun to be around. I learned how to depend on substances to make me feel however I wanted to feel. Then one day, I looked into my son's face and realized I was an awful mom. My little son needed someone to care for him, and I was not doing a very good job of that, to say the least. So I set out to fix that, and I left that guy that I was with, and I took my son in a bag of clothes, and I went to my mom's house. Only she could not offer any support of any kind. She worked all day and took care of my sister's kids throughout the night. At some point, I had court with my son's dad. He looked to be doing well. He had a job, a nice girlfriend, and a pretty house. So in 2004, I did the hardest thing I think I have ever done. I signed court papers for my son to live with his father. I thought he would have a better chance with his dad. Only now I really didn't have anything. I started using meth daily. I was so full of rage. I was so stressed out. I had gotten arrested five or six times on misdemeanor offenses. I lost countless jobs. I started hurting people around me. I started doing things I said I would never do, breaking my own rules. No one could trust me. 
I would take anything from anyone, money, drugs, boyfriends, cars, anything. In 2005, when I was 24, I was strung out on meth, pills, and alcohol. I hated everything about my life and all the people around me. I remember sitting out in my car in front of the dealer's house screaming at God. I told God that I knew he didn't love me because if he did, he would save me. He would help me. and He wasn't helping me, and he didn't save me from myself. Just two short weeks later, I was arrested on a federal charge of conspiracy with intent to distribute. I was housed in Orlando, Florida. I remember being arrested on Monday, and one of the U.S. Marshals told me that at least he gave me the weekend to party one last time. I told him thanks for nothing. I could have killed myself. When I was in jail this time, I was denied bond twice. I was tired. The first couple of days, I slept all day and only stayed awake long enough to eat, and then I would sleep more. I didn't know what was happening around me, and I didn't care. After the second week, a girl named Elaine came over to my cell, and she asked me if I had a Bible and if I wanted to read it with her. She gave me a Bible to use, and we started going to church. The very first service I went to, I realized that God heard my scream from that car. He did love me. He loved me enough to put me in a safe place like jail so I didn't die. So I didn't wake up to one more guy I didn't know. So I could not self-medicate anymore. So I could eat and sleep. So that he could pick me up from the miry clay and set my feet on solid ground once and for all. And that day, he did save me. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior of my soul and took my place as a daughter of the King. From that day forward, I was not the same. I did not talk the same. I did not act the same. I didn't even write the same. I started reading the Bible every chance I had. I felt God's love so much during that season of my life. Even knowing I was incarcerated, that was the most freeing time of my entire life. The Lord was with me, and I was with the Lord. I learned how to pray. At night in jail is the worst time because it's just you alone with your thoughts. The enemy wanted me to listen to him and his nagging and his reminders. But instead, I prayed. I remember I believed the Lord for anything and everything. I said, Jesus, come and comfort me until morning. And he did every night. I asked him, and every night I was comforted. I kept praying and began seeking God about what would happen with me now that I knew him. I was seeing some of the other girls who had been released start coming back on new charges, and that scared me. I kept praying. I had another bond hearing, and finally I was bonded out on a signature bond to my son's father's mother. You know, the one I first used crank with. I was scared. I wasn't sure if I could make it around her without using. But I kept praying and asking God to help me. When I was released, the guy that picked me up was a random guy I used to use with. I wasn't sure if I could be around him either. So I prayed. I began to pray about everything, a job, a place to live, staying sober, finding a church. I was released from jail October 2005. 
on a pre-trial release program, and I prayed, and God used so many people and so many circumstances to make a way for me. I followed his lead. The guy that picked me up had an old charge that he had to serve time for. He was from Madison, Georgia. His mother and father came to Daytona Beach to pick up all of his belongings from his apartment. I met him there and helped them pack up his things. I had an immediate and special connection with his mother, and she offered to let me stay with her while he was incarcerated. So I requested to have my supervision transferred to the state of Georgia, and I moved to Madison, Georgia on December the 4th, 2005. I was on a courtesy, I was on courtesy supervision with the Federal Probation Office in Athens, Georgia. I immediately started going to AANA Church, and I found a Celebrate Recovery program. I learned so much about sobriety and the road to recovery. I started working a step study at Celebrate Recovery the first time it was offered there. Many people poured into me. After all, I didn't have to change much, just everything. I attended that Celebrate Recovery at Center Point Church in Madison, Georgia for six years. I served in many different roles at Celebrate Recovery such as Newcomer 101, leading ladies' step studies as they worked through their steps. I eventually met my amazing husband and moved out of the house I was living in. In 2006, I was invited to go on a spiritual retreat where I learned so much about forgiveness. I experienced it in a powerful way. I was able to forgive my father for the hurt he caused and forgive myself for allowing that hurt to fuel my addiction. I was set free. I could see how forgiving him for not teaching me how to truly be loved and love other people would release me from all the hurt. And then God could come into that place of hurt and show me real love, agape love. In November 2006, I was baptized. And David Cronick asked me to be his bride. I prayed and asked God to release me from my pretrial supervision before I became a wife. Three days before my wedding, after being on supervision for 18 months, my lawyer called to say all of my charges were dropped. So on Valentine's Day 2007, I became Mrs. Lisa Marie Chronic and a new stepson to my two wonderful stepsons, Will and Craig. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 David and I had our first son together that, later on that year. His name is Caden. Since 2007, David and I have continued on the road to recovery. We have served in many different positions in our church and in our community. I wish I could say without any bumps in the road or relapse, but we have had our fair share of disappointments, heartbreaks, setbacks, and mistakes. But when I sit and think about it, I know that my God is a way maker. He is bigger than my worst mistake. He desires a relationship with me, and he can restore, rebuild, and reconcile. I know that it is only by his grace that I am alive, that I am a wife, that I am a godly mother. When my son Caden began kindergarten, I accepted my calling to be his homeschool teacher. He's now going into the fourth grade, and I'm still his teacher. In 2011, 
my father made contact with me for the first time in 16 years. I was not sure what would come of his phone call, but I prayed and trusted God yet again that he had my best interest at heart. My daddy told me about his life and how he had moved back to Texas and was in prison for several years and he got out and he went back. He told me that while he was in prison the last time, a man came to him and asked him if he had a Bible and if he wanted to start reading it with him. Daddy had a lot of health problems and I haven't set eyes on him since I was a little girl. But God blessed me with one year of over-the-phone relationship with him before he died on November the 20th, 2012. We had a service for him at Penfield Baptist Church where I was mailed a letter. I want to read that letter for you guys. It says, My Lord and Savior has blessed me by reuniting me with my children and seven grandchildren. I have yet to meet them. I am going over to Georgia the first of the year to have that glorious meeting. I owe it all to my Lord and Savior Jesus. Also, I have survived seven congestive heart failures, one major open heart surgery. Only through his almighty grace and mercy did I live. Before I married, my soon-to-be husband told me about a relationship he was involved in that may have produced a child. And in November 2013, I met for the first time my little stepson Chandler. He's been such a great joy to get to know and love. I often call him a walking smile because he's always walking around smiling. What an amazing God to give us all these boys to teach about his goodness. I'm blessed to be in the position to watch my husband grow and lead. To be, as Paul says, to follow him as he follows Christ. I choose to put aside feelings of jealousy and bitterness and accept my place as my husband's helpmate. We have been blessed time and time again by my husband's job at Penfield Christian Homes. God has used that ministry not only to provide treatment for many men and women suffering from addiction, but also to provide a beautiful home in the community where we've lived for the last four years. Over the years, I have had three failed custody trials regarding my son, Michael. I had to let God take me through a process of trusting him with my son. I have prayed for years and even convinced many of my friends to pray in agreement concerning him. In December 2014, my boy Michael came to live with us permanently. And just when we thought our family was complete, we got pregnant with our youngest son, Benjamin, born on January the 4th, 2015. Because we have so many wonderful children and our family keeps growing, we needed a bigger vehicle, which God just provided for us this last October. You see, we serve such a big God that cares about even the smallest things. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be overcome by drug addiction, depressed, strung out, left behind and forgotten. But there truly is victory in Jesus. Amen. Now that I've told you this story, I hope you have a picture of love 
And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin, 1 Peter 4, 8. And a picture of hope. Never give up hope on sobriety, on yourself, or on each other. Only trust that God has your best interest at heart. Thank you for letting me share. Would you be seated just for a second? Thank you, Lisa Marie. Thank you guys with Celebrate Recovery and all that you do. And I want to wrap up the service and just remind you of a few things. Because what we just heard was a great story, and I want to make sure that you catch the essence of it for you, not just for her, because she's got a great story to tell. To remind you of this, while you may have never had a life full of drug addiction, We were all born into a sinful nature. We were all slaves to ourselves and to the sin that was in us. While hers was drugs, yours was something else. But I can guarantee you we're all on this side of the fence. We were all there. There's no way around it. And most of us spend what part of our life that we can thinking, if I can do enough good things... If I can add enough good stuff together, maybe when I get to heaven, if there is an afterlife and I get to heaven, maybe I can walk in and I can show this creator, whoever that is, in our brain's confusing state. I can tell him of all the good things that I did. I, 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 I watched one of those commercials once about those orphan kids and with the flies on their face, and I, and I sent them some money, and that was a good thing, God, wasn't it? And, you know, when the when the church comes and knocks on my door. I'm, I'm polite to them. I, I say nice things. I don't, I don't slam the door in their face. And I, I hold the door open for people. I, I don't know. I do good things. And somehow we think if we add them all those up together, we've done a, enough to impress God. In your mind's eye, can you see a scale from 10 to 1? Can you see that in your mind? And if we were to add up good people, I mean, let's take good people. Um, Billy Graham. Let's put Billy Graham on that scale. Where would you put him? One to ten. I mean, I know you and I don't personally know him, but if you were guessing, where is he? How about Sister Teresa? Where do you put her on that scale? One to ten. More importantly, if you know where you put those two, where do you put you? So six, seven, maybe eight, maybe nine for one of those two. And if you're probably like most of us, you put yourself at a one. Nah, I'm not that bad, but I'm not as good as Billy Graham. I'll put myself a three or a five maybe. Well, Billy Graham and Sister Teresa both agreed on this one thing. They both recognized that their life was full of sin, and they could never obtain what necessary to find themselves in front of God and that God would open the gates of heaven and let them in. They themselves agreed with the Scripture that says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
They themselves would identify with Paul, who identified himself as the chief among sinners. So if Billy Graham and Sister Teresa themselves don't put themselves worthy enough to make it into heaven, then where does that leave you and I? Well, there's a good news. While you may not be addicted to sin, we had that sinful nature. Jesus came, just as this I always hear, that if we're over here with this, we're all started on this side with this heart of of darkness here. Jesus came to bridge this gap. And the great news is, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church. It doesn't know how many. If you can say all ten of the commandments, that's great. If you have those memorized, it doesn't matter if you give it church. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you put yourself a four or a five on the list. Because all that matters ultimately when we stand before our creator is this. Have we allowed Jesus to bridge this gap between the sin that controlled us just like it controlled Lisa? And have we changed from the Lord of sinfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we made that conscious choice? Have we yielded our life over to a new king? Because we all serve some master. And it's possible today that you're in this place and you thought if you just came one more Sunday, you could pile on one more good thing today and you plan on coming next week, one more good thing. And somehow Jesus is going to look at you and let you in heaven. And none of us are worthy. So today, maybe you want to accept this free gift that Christ offers and we want to move away from serving the Lord of self into serving the Christ, the Lord Jesus. And that's why we exist as a church. That's why CR exists. Or I'll leave you one more challenge. Maybe you've made it over the bridge here. You're no longer automatically controlled by the sins in your life, but you have chosen to let them control you. You have no choice over here. But you're in this section here, and you're angry, or you lie, or you cheat wherever you can. I don't know what your sin is. Maybe you use. Maybe you're a perfectionist, right? We have some of those in the group as well. You don't have to be that. Celebrate recovery. The Bible reminds us of this. While some of us have made the journey over and asked Christ to forgive us our sins, we don't let loose of the sins in our life. And while they don't have to control us, we let them control us. So today, would you make one of those bridges if you need to? Would you walk over and let Christ rule your life? Or if he is, the, uh, has asked, you have asked for forgiveness and he is in your life, would you relinquish those things that you so greedily hold on to that are destroying you and your family? Would you make that choice to let God rule your life so that when we leave today, let's get this one thing solved. We all can stand here next week and say, Jesus is Lord and celebrate the recovery that he is constantly doing in each of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, for those of us that are here, that are constantly coming to grips with that second decision and have already made the first decision there, we want to say thank you. 
We want to celebrate just as Lisa Marie did, just as these guys who come on Thursday do, the fact that you are Lord and Savior of our lives. And we want to say thank you. We don't want to take it for granted nor forget to remember all the good things that you've done in our lives. But today, if there's some that need to cross beyond this, I need to let these things I need to stop them from ruling my life. They no longer should have dominion on me because I am a believer in Christ, but I need to get these things out of my life and only Christ, as you give them to him, can do that. Or if there's someone who's never made that decision to let Christ be the center of their life, they're holding on tenaciously to a life that leads to destruction, your word says. I pray that God's Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, today, would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and let us see if there's a decision that we need to be making to put ourselves in a right, steadfast place and position with you. For you have already put yourself in a place first, before us, one step ahead of us, waiting for us, saying, come, come now. If that's the case, Lord, would you move in people's lives as we sing? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.